0: Previously on Wild Endeavors... In their efforts to escape the Cursed Valley and the ever-dark skies of the Shadow, the companions came face-to-face with the Blind God. In a withering battle of wills, trickery, magic, and steel, the party emerged victorious. Freed from the thrall of the Blind God, the kasaros offered to help the party leave, if they first killed the Master. This is the Shadows Campaign, featuring... Adam Rogers as the human fighter, Hans Gregor. We just want to go home. Devin Salisbury as the human gunslinger, Quintus Arias. I'm not going to lie to you, this is a personal thing right now. Amy Jostino as the tiefling thief, Calico Bane.
1: We're all just trying to get out.
0: Evan Chamberlain as the tiefling warlock, Rackham Bane. I want to go home. And I'm Thomas Marsetti, your DM and storyteller. And now, the final chapter of the Shadows' campaign. The Darkest Hour. Four of you run through the hallways of Carsaro Keep. Behind you pounds the footsteps of running guards. For the first time this evening that sound and the presence of the guard do not concern you. Instead of chasing you, they are escorting you to the East Wing, to the silence, to the master. After you slew the blind god and freed the Carsaro family from its control, Alonzo Carsaro has likewise promised to free you from Sorrow. If you rid his home of the silence, as you run over the lush carpets, down the hallways of dark luxurious woods and tapestries, you have a moment of quiet. The end to this harrowing journey is finally almost upon you, and you can't help but indulge in a bit of reflection. Hans, the two men who hired you to come here and fight this evil are dead. You find yourself stuck with companions you don't exactly cherish, let alone trust. You wanted an adventure and fame. Now you realize they both come with a high price. Calico. You followed Thanhir and killed him. You have the chance to avenge the Clasp again, this time against the Master. But the partnerships you've been cultivating with your companions have shattered. You've almost lost count at the number of times that these people were about to kill you or each other. Now they are all that you have. Quinn, hunting the fugitive Glass Brothers landed you in this lightless land. You have brought one to justice, but even that matters little if you can't return to the Twelve Tables. You're a lawman whose only allies here are thieves and murderers. Rackham... You came here because your sister is here. This was your chance to reunite with her, and to show her that you are better now. Somewhere between almost bringing an entire coven of vampires down on the party, and being thrown in a trough of blood, you think that maybe that hasn't really happened. With those thoughts bouncing around in your head, and a potential way out so close, how are you all doing? Where, where are your heads?
2: Hans is in get the fuck out mode so he wants to get the fuck out so whatever he has to do he has to kill a master he has to kill all the other people he's good to go the only thing he may be thinking in the back of his head is that he's been told to do this if he does this, this will happen a couple of times during this adventure (laughs) And he's done it, and then the thing didn't happen. So maybe a little bit leery, but I think at this point, he's up to try anything.
1: Excited to do to finally face off with the silence uh, and get the class back to where they were a few years ago and return to normal.
3: I'm in a iffy spot. My normal day-to-day routine was just hunting down and taking in criminals and this is kind of well out of his normality, and it's showing him a bit more of the world than he's really ever known or experienced, and so he's kind of like, he's trying to deal with it the best way he can, but I don't think he sees himself being probably the same person that he used to be, definitely after all of this stuff that he's experiencing.
0: Does he know how he's changed, or does he just feel different?
3: I'm not too sure he probably knows it yet, It's probably just like because he's. I feel like he's still in kind of like the adrenaline of being trapped in this place that he's in and all that stuff. Um, But it's just like the situation and and realizing the difference. Like there was for him, it was good and evil. And right now, he's kind of seeing gray areas. He's trying to, to kind of deal with that as he's trying to figure out a way to get out of this place and he's. Not really sure where he fits in between all of
4: them. Um, I think Rackham's, uh, ready for a vacation. <laughs> he thought he were his friends, turned on him very, very easily. And, uh, I think he just wants to get us get with his sister and get the hell out of here.
0: Physically, you are all mostly ship-shape. The Karsaros provided you with some healing potions that have restored most of the wounds you received during the fight with the Blind God. A few of you still have some debilities, aftershocks, or lingering effects from the Blind God's psychic attacks. Sore muscles that scream when you try to use them. A bit of mind fog that slows you down from time to time, drifting in and out like a daydream. And with the need to blend in gone, you have gotten all of your equipment out of Quintus's amulet of holding, and you have geared up for this final fight. Running through the halls, um, past the sitting rooms and minor ballrooms of the Carsaro Mansion, um, you see guests that are aghast at the blood and bloodshed they have found in some of the rooms. They are also undoubtedly have heard the death screams, both the physical and psychic of the Avaleth, that call itself the Blind God, and now heavily armed adventurers and guards are running through the halls. Needless to say, there's a bit of a panic going on in the main ballroom push your way through the the foyer and past the edges of the main ballroom where the guests are starting to kind of scatter and making their way towards the front doors, trying to get out of here. Once through the mass of people, it's a pretty straight shot to a set of large double doors that lead to the east wing. As you make your way through the doors into the east wing, you come upon a guard sitting on a fancy hallway bench. He is utterly motionless. And as one of the guards with you goes to investigate, he topples over, and you can see the wound in his back. He's very, very dead. I I look at
4: everybody, and I go, shh,
0: he's sleeping. The guard leader inspects the gem that's on the wall behind the man, and it's dark, and he pulls a little crystal rod out of his belt and, like, holds it against the dead guard the side of his head. Well, this ain't right. The anchor gem is empty, and he's gone. Like, really gone all the other guards look very uncomfortably at each other the guard leader says for some reason the gift isn't working and the guards again looking very uncomfortably one of them pipes up and y- you know I'll, um, I'll i'll stay here like I'll, I'll stay and guard this door make sure none of the silence like uh, you know escape this way and he very quickly has an uh, a bunch of other guards volunteering to stay behind and guard the hallway bunch of wusses pansies all right
1: And let's so keep going
0: as the guards begin to form up and prepare to defend the doorway to the east wing, you hear a voice call out from behind you, and you turn to see your old companion, Elias
3: Whoa! <laughs> what?
0: What? <laughs> well, you guys look like
5: shit.
3: We thought you were dead!
1: Twist!
5: Uh, I thought I was dead too, honestly. I conquered the house by myself.
1: I'm impressed. And we I've been chas- ch-
5: chasing you guys ever since
2: i probably, like, run up to, like, go hug him, and I probably would have started to hug him and then, like, kind of, like, backed off and would have been like, oh, oh, it's good to it's good to see you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really could have used you out there. Good to
5: see you guys, too.
2: Um, who is this?
1: Oh, it's uh, one of our companions from before. He's nice. No.
2: I look at Elif and I say, just
4: tolerate him, but you don't have to save him. I hold my hand out in a weird, awkward way to shake it. I'll shake it back. I grab, like, <laughs> one finger and just shake it. Where's Leandro's? Oh, you mean that dead guy? Yeah, he's I say there. fuck Leandros. We couldn't see him. Han's also,
2: like, at this second, like, just snapped back to reality again after being excited and was just like, wait, wait, wait a second here. We had another one of our friends come back, and that turned out to be not true. So now I, like, go back over to Ilief, and I, like, grab his shoulder, and I like, I, like, shake him a little bit, and then I'm like, okay, and then I, like, shake my head back and forth a little <laughs> bit, and I'm like, wipe my eyes out, I'm like, all right, if you give me any advice, though... <laughs>
5: I'm just going to, like, kind of look bewildered and be like, boy, you guys have seen some shit, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Hans, I don't remember you being like this. You were so open and welcoming before.
2: Look,
1: he tried to kill me, like, four times, so there's (laughs) that.
5: So you guys are all just, like, killing each
2: other now, huh? Listen, Hans says he's honestly the only one you should trust. I'll always trust you, Hans. I appreciate that. Look, I never betrayed
1: you, technically. Technically, I didn't betray
2: Finn-ish.
1: I was following orders.
2: Yeah. That's oh, true. I also know she poisoned me. So there's that. But I did see you kill her. Oh, so. <laughs> you caught us at a strange time in our lives. Pretty much, <laughs> I hate everybody. <laughs>
0: <That's>...
1: <laughs> yes, but we're all going to get out of here, and then you never have to see us again.
0: As if on cue, the sound of fighting begins to drift down the hallway toward you.
1: So we're going to go there. Uh,
0: the hallway makes a right turn about a hundred feet ahead. As you run down the hallways, the f- sound of the fighting starts to slowly get a little bit louder. After rounding the first corner, you can see there's something of a crossroads ahead. The hallway continues straight forward, but it also branches to the left and the right. As you stop here to consider which way to go, you can see down the right hallway, just about at another turn, there are a couple of corpses laying on the ground. As you draw up on them, you can see they are both wearing the emblem of the silence. The skull, with the upper and lower parts of the mouth broken away. Down this stretch of about another hundred feet of hallway, you can see another five bodies scattered along the way. Pools of blood already forming underneath them. Three of them are wearing the emblem of the Silence. The other two, Calico, you recognize as members of the Clasp. And the sound of the fighting is much louder now. It seems to be coming from just around the corner ahead. Sure enough, as you round that corner, the hallway opens into a vestibule. The room is about thirty feet by thirty feet and the floor is scattered with easily a dozen bodies. Most of them members of the silence, but a few class members mixed in as well. Most are silent and unmoving. Large deep wounds or massive pools of blood making it clear that most of these people will never be getting back up again. At the far side of the room there is an ornate set of double doors. The rich wood carved to look like trees, vines, and flowers. Just in front of the door is Shark and Silvermane. His signature top hat is missing. His long hair flies wildly as he spins and jumps. The sleeves of his garishly colored shirt are wet with red up to his biceps. You come around the corner just in time to see the halfling duck under one attack aimed at his head. Turn the move into a slide, putting him in place to chop almost cleanly through the leg of one of the silence agents attacking him. As the man collapses to the floor... Sharkin flourishes his kukuri When the man's head is low enough that Sharkin doesn't have to jump to reach it, he chops one of the kukuris into the man's skull. Just between the eyes. There are six other silence attackers nearby about to fall on Sharkin. What would you like to do?
1: I'm going to send my kerchief after one of the people attacking Sharkan.
3: Yeah, I want to take aim and shoot at one of them. Also, I want to burn one of
5: their souls. Right now, I'm just wearing plain clothes that I would wear to the ball. Don't have anything mm. on me. So I'm just going to, like, in a badass move, just, like, hold my hands out to the right and left and snap my fingers. Sword and shield pop in. Cool. And I'll get ready to fight. No, I'll hang back.
2: Yeah, I'm going yeah. after, like, the closest silenced person to me, eventually with my sword.
0: Hack and okay. Flash. okay. So let's, uh, we'll do the ranged folks first. So, Calico, why don't you lead us off? Well, That's full success. Roll your damage. Seven damage. What does that look like when it hits him?
1: Well, it doesn't probably doesn't kill anybody. It probably it it did not. cut through it hurt a lot. Part, of, part of their torso and then come
3: back to me.
0: It cuts pretty deep into their side. And there's a there's a good splash of blood. Quinn? Thirteen. That's a good hit.
3: So if I get cracked shot, I will just do the... He's unable to engage in combat
0: against shark. Sure. Okay, roll your damage. Eleven. Your gun thunders in the small space. His left shoulder blade becomes a spray of blood. He falls to his knees, grasping at his chest, and then topples over onto his side. Since you used a crack shot on him, that means he is mortally wounded, and is essentially going to be out of this fight unless one of his companions help him. Actually, he's going to be out of this life unless somebody helps him.
4: Uh, Rackham is going to Brimstone.
0: Nine. So you cast successfully, but you take one of the consequences? I'll take unwanted attention. Okay. Go ahead and roll your damage.
4: Nine. And so what does that look like? You can see all the markings on his like skins are like, glowing and his eyes go yellow, and he just basically like using a spear to like channel
0: that energy blast like this yellow chaos blast out. As that blast of, of magical energy strikes this thing, black flames kind of leap up from around where the thing struck, and you can hear them start to scream as it burns both flesh and their soul. So, one of the Silence is going to stay in because already getting into combat with Sharkin. One is bleeding out on the ground from a big bullet hole. And so, then the other four are going to turn to engage you. One of them is winding back a dagger to throw, and he's looking right at Rackham. The other three are just kind of rushing towards you guys. Hans, you are in the process of running at them. So, if you want yeah, to do something,
2: or is there, like, too close to each other to where I can maybe try and hit two at once, or... Sure. Yeah, I want to do, like, a slash across, like, at least two of them.
0: Yeah. I'll, I mean, you'll split the damage between them. You're not going to do, like, full damage to both of them.
2: But okay. Sure. Seems cool.
0: I was like it sounds cool, so I'm, I'm game. Is an eight. Okay, so on Sabina 9, you deal your damage, and the enemy makes an attack on you. So go ahead and roll your damage. That's an eight. You come around with this big haymaker of a swing Your sword slashing through the air The two silence agents see it coming and begin to dodge But they can't get completely out of the way Your blade catches one across the side And then slashes into the arm of the second one The problem with a big swing like that is that you are now off balance As you are recovering, the silence take advantage of that window of opportunity And are going to attack What do you want to do about that?
2: Duck or kind of like roll into their legs or something
0: you can try. That sounds like a defy danger dexterity.
2: Uh, nine.
0: Seven to nine. You stumble, hesitate, or flinch. The gym will offer your worst outcome, hard bargain, or ugly choice. You can, like, drop to the floor and get out of the way, but in doing so, you'll lose your sword. Like, it'll kind of just spin away on the floor. You can just take the hit, or... As you drop and begin to roll, they're going to jump over top of you and land right by Elieff, putting him in imminent danger. Take picture. Okay. They see you going low, so they crouch, and in a flash are bringing their daggers around in an upward thrust at you. You see this in time, so you don't just jump right on top of their daggers. Uh, you kind of bail out at the last moment, but they do end up catching you with their blades. One slashes into your thigh and the other one into your side a total of seven damage after your armor
1: would I be able to hit the guy about to throw the thing at Rackham before it hits him you can try I'm gonna spin my little handkerchief toward him seven
0: so you either have to move to get the shot and put yourself in danger you take what you can get which is less damage or you are gonna lose the handkerchief for the rest of this fight
1: how much less damage would I do 1d6 Okay, I'll try that. That's two damage.
0: So you fling the handkerchief out. It turns to steel and begins to spin. The knife thrower sees it. They were pulling their arm back, getting ready to throw their knife, and so they just kind of extend that motion a little bit more and are able to dodge the worst of it as it just gives them a little cut across the shoulder.
5: I would like to hack, try to hack and slash at one of the ones that's um, that, just attack, that Hans just attacked.
0: Okay, roll it out. 12. Uh, that's a good hit.
5: I do 4 damage. I'm also going to use setup strike, which is when I when I hack and slash I get to choose an ally and their next attack against the target does plus 1d4 damage. Okay. So I'll choose Hans.
0: Um, how are you kind of setting him up for that?
5: Since it was kind of a small amount of damage, I'll say instead of hitting him with my sword, I kind of punched him with my shield. So he's kind of like reeling back. Nice.
0: I would like to cast bullets at the guy running at me. (laughs) Okay, roll for bullets. 12. Nice, and roll your damage. 12. Now, where are you hitting this guy?
3: Probably the head or torso area.
0: Okay, your gum thunders. You hit him dead center in the head, and he just flops forward.
3: And uh, for Ilya who's probably not used to this, um, your ears are probably ringing something for
4: I want to give that gentleman who's going to throw something at me, I want to cast Pestilence on him.
0: Okay, roll that up. Eleven. Your eyes flash yellow, and you can feel the magic welling inside you. The dagger comes flying and lands in your shoulder. You take two damage. Then the dagger throwers' eyes go wide as they see their hand in front of them. And you can see from across the room as well. Their skin begins to contort as pustules and boils bubble up to the surface. And you know this is only the beginning of something much, much worse for them.
1: Can I backstab the one fighting Sharkin?
0: If you tell me what you're like what it looks like, what are you doing?
1: I mean I'm guessing I would go up try to sneak behind him and then just like stab him in the neck if so i can get there
0: the old trusty neck stab 11 that's a good neck stab well damage so you slink around the group that's fighting in the middle and are able to come up behind this guy and as he is fighting and like moving back and forth with Sharkin, he sidesteps and you were anticipating and just plunge the dagger right into the back of his neck so he lets out that gasping, like blood in the throat, starting to bleed into his lungs, and then he he drops down.
1: Is Shraken okay? Does he need a healing potion?
0: He gives you a little wave, like a thanks, and then starts heading toward the the last couple
5: silence. Okay. I will yell out and ask if anybody's hurt. Me, Hans is. All right. Since I know Hans, and I don't know this other Jamoke. Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try the lay on hands for Hans. Essentially, I touch someone's skin to skin, which is just weird. but
2: well,
3: weird
5: to make it weird. Touch it. I'm going to gently caress his cheek, which I got a 12.
0: All right, you heal.
5: So on a 10 plus, you heal 1d8 damage, but I also get plus 2d8 for my skills. So I actually get 3d8. Okay, so you're healed for 13.
0: Oh, see ya. Yeah. A holy light emanates from Ilya's hand and seems to travel into Hans. Hans, you feel an incredible warmth in your chest that then spreads to all of your limbs. And you feel a strange but comforting, itching feeling in your leg and your side as the, the two wounds there close up. Thank you, Ilya. The divine warmth is still tingling in your limbs as you see the. Attacker that Ilief had shield bashed is starting to regain their composure.
2: I will definitely go after that guy. I want to hack and slash him in the throat. Ooh, that is a fourteen.
0: Roll your damage. Twenty-two. You totally lop his head off. <laughs> the head goes like spinning through the air.
2: Well, I would say I'm very excited after seeing that happening. <laughs>
0: There are only two silence members left, one who is still kind of engaged with Elieff and Hans, and the other who is standing more towards Calico, who is freaking out about the boils and pustules that are growing on its skin.
1: Can I attack that one? Yeah. Okay, well I will normal stab, but poison stab. Okay. And it's
0: a 12. That's a good stab.
1: And that's 11 damage.
0: They are kind of distracted, and you come behind them. Stab your dagger in just above their kidney, and then drive it up into their rib cage. How many more are left? Just one. Fighting Hans and Elia. Oh, I'll just let them do their thing. Okay. Let's
5: let's do, like, a combined, like, we both hit hit him with our shields, like, from opposite directions. (laughs)
0: Obviously, can we do that? (laughs) Do it. Both roll hack and slash. I got
2: a ten. I got a nine, so it won't be
0: topes. Go ahead and roll your damage. I got 12. Five. So there's the one attacker left, and the two of you lock eyes. And it's just like old times, you don't even have to say anything. You both just brace your shields and then go charging into this guy. You hear many things inside him break. His dagger drops from limp fingers. And then when the two of you step away, his body just flops to the ground. I give like a knowing nod to Hans
5: because I think in one of the very first episodes back when I was just like that nervous adventurer, like one of the first cool things I did was like a team-up attack with Hans.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Nice. And then it's just the five of you and Sharkin left standing in the vestibule. He sheaths his two kookeries and with a big hammy grin on his face, he says, Didn't I tell you to hurry? I almost had all the fun myself and then one of his legs buckles and the smile slips into a grimace and he struggles for a moment he falls against one of the pillars for support and presses a hand against this large growing stain that you now see on the side of his torso do I have any chance to heal him? you can go check it out if you want yeah I mean I can try the healing spell he kind of stops you as you, as you close he's like <laughs> thank you Padre but it's not going to help and you're going to need all the strength you can get for what's ahead but thank you and then in a quieter voice so just you can hear he says keep an eye on her keep her safe of course and he looks kind of the rest of he says can i have a moment with calico he lowers himself to like a sitting position his back against one of the columns next to the door i'm gonna space. go like wander around and look at the dead bodies and like try to find something cool <clears throat> yeah, find me another weapon so as the rest of you turn to go loot the bodies calico you walk over to sharkin I think that you're used to the feeling of wanting to like bend down or crouch down when you talk to him because he is a half. He is significantly shorter than you. And at the moment he is half slumped, half sitting on the ground. So you pretty much have to crouch or sit next to him to be anywhere near him when you speak. And you know, this is something he doesn't want to share with everybody in the room.
1: And I'd be like, there's Um, gotta be something we can do. I've got all these things and like going through my stuff.
0: Even as you say that, and as you begin to rummage in your belt through your herbs and your oils and, and rare ingredients, your, your poison materials and antidotes, you know it's no good. The silence are assassins. Their singular focus is killing. And if they had one shot to kill the leader of the class, they would make sure it worked. There are magical venoms. There are anti-magic venoms. There are sentient venoms. There are so many things that they have created and mastered for killing you know that at this point magic probably is the only option to save him but as you just heard him tell Elieff it would be a matter of time and a matter of power and you don't have enough of either right now and Sharkin is smiling at you in a sad kind of way that says he knows that you would want to try and that he knows that you know it's hopeless (laughs) This isn't on you. <laughs> Man can't drown who's destined to be hanged, right? You recognize that this is part of one of the code phrases that certain clasp agents use to identify themselves to each other. And maybe this is the first time that you realize how fatalistic and kind of fucked up that phrase is. He then undoes the, the brooch that's holding his cloak together. The He takes it and presses it into your hand. And when you look down at it, you see it's the the four hooks. It's the the brooch that is normally separated into four pieces to represent the four leaders of the clasp. (laughs) This is yours now. (laughs) Finish the fight, and then make of this what you will. And again, he doesn't have to say it. You know that when he says this, he doesn't mean the brooch. He means the clasp. Oh,
1: um, I will rebuild it, and I will do you proud.
0: He smiles and reaches out to put a hand on the side of your face. And he says, (laughs) didn't I tell you, you always made me proud. And then his hand falls away and his eyes are dark. You hear a sound from beyond the double doors, the end of this, this vestibule. Rackham, let me heal you. Please. Okay. Do you have to? I will shake
5: his, like, one finger like I did when we first met. Nine.
0: That means you take damage for how much you heal him. Oh, damn. Or, because you have the bloody Aegis skill, you can take a debility instead of taking that damage. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take um, minus one to my intelligence. Okay. So I'll be stunned. I'll be stunned. Okay. Roll to see how much you heal. So you're healed for eight. As you clasp Rackham's finger, your hands begin to glow with that divine light, and then that light begins to transfer into Rackham. Rackham, you feel a warmth in your chest that spreads throughout your limbs, and you can feel your wounds beginning to itch as they close back up. Would anyone else like to do anything else before you all see to these ominously large and ornate doors? Okay. Okay. I will just add the sound of all of you shaking your head when I edit that. (laughs) The doors open to reveal a large atrium that's at least 600 feet across. Greenhouses to the left and right create kind of like a pseudo hallway towards the center of the atrium. Both of the greenhouses are, the walls are all glass revealing a variety of plants inside. Each one is open at the top, allowing some larger trees to peek out. The greenhouses are about 20 feet tall, and the ceiling is about another 40 feet above that. Beyond the greenhouses, there are some planters and benches scattered in kind of a rough, like circular pattern around a central area. Overhead, uh, for the majority uh, of this room of the atrium, is a massive skylight. Um, a spiderweb style of metal holds massive panes of glass high above the atrium. And as you begin to move into the room, something strange draws your attention to the skylight. The darkness of the kind of the ever-black sky above Saramore seems to be rolling back, like a cloud moving out of the way of the sun. Dim, gray morning light rolls into the room through the skylight. After about 30 seconds or so, the darkness rolls back in and this cycle repeats itself um, as you guys are in the room like every 30 seconds there's there's grayish dawn light and then 30 seconds of darkness when darkness is coming through the skylight the atrium is lit by a circle of five large braziers Uh, in the center of the room. Uh, Whatever used to be in that central area has clearly been, like, moved away. There are marks and like, chunks of broken floor where things were were very clearly moved or, like, demolished where they were to create this open space. On the ground near each brazier is a corpse of a well-dressed partygoer. They are all still wearing their masks from the ball. You can tell that they are dead from the door because their throats seem to be missing, and there is a significant amount of gore on and around them as you draw closer you're able to see that this blood has been used to draw three concentric circles of runes and arcane symbols on the floor in the center of these rings is a pedestal with a basin on top of it and sitting inside the basin is a box it's about the size of a shoebox. it looks like it's made of amethyst the five of you are walking through the door and down this little pseudo hallway and this is kind of the, the slow-mo, badass walk scene. So what does that, what does that look like?
4: Think of uh, the worst version of the Justice League, like, walking in. So,
2: like, the Justice League movie? You see me, like, put my foot out, and I trip. <laughs> Ramekin. And he, he kind of rolls over onto the ground and picks himself <laughs> back up again, and, like, rushes tries to run back.
0: That fits in with the the narrative that, uh, that Evan was painting for us, so what about the rest of you? (laughs) I'm
3: probably in the rear, like taking, like watching like behind us and like just kind of panning around with my gun. Like,
5: I think I'd be walking like just really pensively thinking about the journey so far, I think, and how much he's like grown up through this entire adventure, maybe praying to Helm silently.
0: As you move closer to the center of the room, you see there are two figures standing in the middle of the ritual ring. They are very clearly struggling with one another. One is covered all in black, black cloak and black hood, um, obscuring most of their their features. The one facing you is dressed in a fine bone white suit with black pinstripes. Um, it's wearing an elaborate mask that makes it look like its head is the skull of a kudu, which is like, it's kind of like an antelope, but imagine that, like the horns are like a corkscrew shaped instead of just straight up. As darkness rolls across the room again, the hooded figure freezes and then begins to fall backward. None of the remaining characters recognize this figure, nor would this scene have any significance for them. So this next little bit is for us as the players. The figure falls in slow motion, the hood slowly dropping away to reveal a head of red hair. We recognize Whisper, once known as Kara Nilo, the sister of Fenn, and as she falls, we hear a, a voice echoing a flashback um, to a time when Darth gave the Wayward Sons several grim portents. In particular, we hear, when the heir of Nilo faces the darkest hour, do not let one stand against the shadows. And then Kara thuds against the floor like a ragdoll. Then's demon blade pulses briefly in the kudu-headed man's hand as the blade drinks up Kara's blood. The figure then throws a sword down on top of Kara's corpse and turns its empty, socketed eyes towards you. I think you guys have figured out that this is the master. Not only does he hold the key to your escape from the shadow, he is the one who orchestrated the destruction of the clasp and the death of Sharkin, Calico's mentor, the one who got Rackham out of the asylum. This kudu-headed man is the one that Fenn hired Elieff and Hans to defeat. This is the, the great evil that, as far as you guys are concerned, that he died trying to end. Light rolls back into the room. The figure says, "'You are nothing if not brazen. My eldest son's body is not yet cold, and my other son may yet die of his wounds, and here you are to attack me. <laughs> you seem to not know me, Justicar. I should not be surprised.' The primarchy is far too short-sighted to have deduced what my boys were up to on my behalf. I am Ilias
4: Class. Fucking nip it. Fucking nip it. Are we guys, are we in this together now?
2: Yep. Let's fuck him up. I don't know, Hans is gonna try and charge at him.
0: He says, so much for pleasantries. And the braziers flare. And a dagger appears in his hand. And then he plunges it into his chest. And a beam of black light shoots from the dagger wound um, up into the, the skylight. Um, his back arches and he begins to levitate off of the floor. Um, his arms dropping limply back as if opening his arms to accept something. And then black light shoots from his mouth and then from his eyes. And his body begins to shake violently. And darkness rolls over the room again. And then an invisible shockwave. Rolls across the room and then reverses like an implosion. That black light that had poured out of his body is swirling overhead, and then it begins to descend. It races down and into the amethyst box, shaking it and the pedestal that it's on. When the last of the light has vanished into the box, that skeletal kudu head rises back up. His shoulders roll forward, and then those empty eye sockets begin to glow a cold red. I am everlasting. Death at my hand will be far more merciful than death that awaits Arya. And you remember that part of the reason Fen wanted so desperately to get to his sister is because the master was trying to become a lich, and it appears that he has now done that.
1: Oh, we're all gonna die, aren't
0: we? Depends on I what you guys are doing. Happen.
2: Uh, Hans wants to use his bracers to um, channel the star's magical power power and blast forth a devastating wave of light.
0: Roll that. Hell yeah. Ten. That's a full success. Go ahead and roll your damage.
2: Thirteen magical damage. Magical Mm -hmm. Hans damage.
0: You punch both of the gauntlets forward. You get the sensation of dragging waves of superheated air with each of your fists. The gauntlets tap into an immense source of power. There's a flash as golden light and energy begins to stream out of your hands toward the lich. When it hits him in the shoulder, it begins to burn and sizzle. As the beam disappears, and you can see where it's like burned away part of his suit, and the flesh beneath, the the wound starts to heal over. The skin around the wound starts to decay, almost like his body is taking life energy from other parts of it to cover up this wound. There's still very clearly a wound there. You've hurt him very badly, but he's not, like, bleeding. It's not, like, an open wound. And he says... You are strong, child. I am beyond strength.
3: Can I use that opportunity or that
0: opening to do a shot right there? Sure. As the shot explodes from your gun, he turns and looks at you and raises a finger. And the bullet stops halfway to him, and he says... Your belief in injustice will be your downfall. And he flicks his finger, and the bullet turns and goes flying right back at you. Oh my. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use my one of my grip
3: point to do uncanny Dodd. Go ahead and read the move, just so we all know what's happening. If, if I use a grip point, um, I successfully I, su- I succeed in defying danger against the
0: projectile. Your bullet comes flying back at you. You throw yourself to the side and into a roll, and the bullet goes whizzing by.
1: I'm gonna ask Rackham if he can, like, do anything. Don't you have... Can't you use something with whatever god you have to fight this guy?
4: Uh, you mean, like, ask the, the king in yellow to help me fight this guy? Yes. I don't think he really cares, honestly. Why? Uh, he doesn't... It, it's 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 a It's a really weird relationship I have with him. Like, I don't think he cares for, like, mortal things.
0: As the Bane siblings have a quick little conference, Eliaf, are you doing anything? Are
5: the braziers able to be, like, tipped over?
0: Sure. They are freestanding. It looks, if anything, like they were brought into the atrium recently. They were not part of the original interior design here. Normal. Gotcha.
5: Would I be able to, like, knock one over, like, towards him to try to burn him? You can try. Okay. Yeah, I want to do that.
0: Okay. Go ahead and roll plus strength. That's a 10. You run up to one of the braziers. These things are pretty decent size. They are about waist height on you and probably about four feet across. But the four iron legs that hold it up were simply not designed for a quarterback sized person to try to knock it over. You get a shoulder up under the lip of the one side of it. You heave and for a moment it seems like nothing's going to happen. And then it begins to tip upward. And then it tips a little bit more, and a little bit more, until gravity starts to help you out. And then the thing topples over. As the burning and smoldering embers go skittering across the floor, the lich whirls on you. It screams. (laughs) Then says, Hope only prolongs your suffering. Then it raises its hand out toward you. And from its palm, several beams of black energy begin to streak out toward you. If you would like to, you can roll Defy Danger Wisdom.
5: That is an eight.
0: When they hit you, you feel the warmth of divine energy rising up inside you, as if Helm's Grace is offering you some protection. But it does not protect you completely. You take five damage that ignores your armor well then darkness rolls across the skylight and the room so the bane siblings you were talking about what rackham might be able to do and then you saw Eliath run by you knock over a brazier and immediately get lit up uh, by the lich i'm
4: gonna fire at a chaos blast that is um, like kind of like adjacent to the one that Eliath just knocked over
0: you turn toward one of the other braziers The markings on your body begin to glow yellow. A sphere of chaotically twisting energy begins to grow in your hand, and you throw it at the brazier. The kudu head tilts slightly to the side, and the master just gives just the littlest of hand waves, like a noble dismissing a server, and your chaos blast explodes in midair. Your slumbering god is quaint. Behold, I will show you true power. And he shoots a beam of black energy at you. Can I counterspell that? You can either, you can try to counterspell it or you can try to defy danger. I'm going to try to counterspell. Ten. This smoke-like black energy is swirling down at you. Your markings and your eyes flare yellow as you send out your own arcane energy to try to stop this thing mid-flight. The black energy comes to a sudden stop as if it's hit a wall. For half a second it seems like it doesn't move, and then the energy begins to roil around the edges of this wall and begin to come streaking at you again. Your counterspell does manage to sap a lot of the energy out of this thing. So very little actually manages to make it all the way to you. And what little does has been diverted by your counterspell and so is harmless. It did, however, take your full strength to even just divert that spell. And you even were staggered back a couple of steps by it. In comparison, flinging that spell at you was nothing to the master.
1: While he did that, like while he was distracted, could I go over and knock over the thing that's closest to us?
0: You can try. What's your strength?
1: 13 minus 1.
0: You get over to the brazier and start to push, and your muscles are just burning. They are still reeling from the effects of the abuse from the blind god. You're just a little bit weaker than normal, and this thing is just a little bit heavier than you thought. As you are struggling, the master turns and says, The shadows betray you because they serve me. He makes a motion like he's spinning something in the air and one of the daggers pops out of your belt and then comes like flying right back at you. Go ahead and roll Defy Danger. 10. So the thing is close enough that it still hits you, but you dodge the worst of it. So you're only gonna take one damage as the dagger slices your side. Cool that gray dawn light rolls into the room again through the skylight the kudu headed figure begins the incantations of a spell and shadows begin to coalesce and swirl around the dais near his feet it does not seem like the kind of spell that will be beneficial to you and he will cast it unless you do something to stop him so what would you like to do
3: well i want to run to my left if that's cover there i want to want to try to like kind of
0: post up near that off to your left you spot that very loose ring of planters there are a variety of bowl and box type shapes they are between three and four feet tall but they are all made of stones those are probably your best bet in terms of cover in the area does that something like that yeah like I want to post up behind that one
3: okay and try to take aim at one of those braziers and see if I can like take one of the
0: legs out on them so while you are running to do that what are the rest of you doing I want to use my
2: <laughs> bracers to
0: fire at him again. Okay.
2: And I don't, because that's only a six.
0: That is a failure. You punch the gauntlets forward, just like before. Just like before, you feel that immense energy channeling through you. And this time, instead of that golden light streaming out of the gauntlets, there is an explosion of light. all take a moment to kind of clear your eyes shake that after image of the tiny star that just exploded in front of you when you do you realize you're looking at the ceiling at the skylight the explosion must have knocked you all to the ground so you have a perfect view as almost in slow motion the shock wave from the explosion reaches the skylight and it shatters and it begins to rain glass upon you Quinn you're gonna take three damage Eliaf, you're going to take 6 damage, Calico, 4 damage, Hans, 3 damage, Rackham, 4 damage. Gray morning light rolls across the skylight and the room. I will say, though, as the rest of you get to your feet, you see that the master is also picking himself up off the ground. So this explosion has interrupted his spell, and he maybe even had to start over. Okay,
5: I'm going to try to, like, since I'm already prone, I'll just try to, like, pencil roll behind one of the planters, behind the one I'm in front of right now.
0: Okay.
1: Can I throw my handkerchief at him? Yeah. A ten?
0: Roll your damage.
1: Nine damage.
0: The lace-turned-steel goes whizzing out from your hand and up into the center of the ritual circle, slicing deep into the master's side. You can actually see where it's cut into and through a number of his ribs, This is the kind of hit that most normal people would not survive without serious medical attention. However, the master doesn't even flinch, and you can see the skin around the wound begin to decay as the slash closes up.
4: I am going to do a thing. I'm going to do Disjunction, which is Counterspell.
0: So what does that look like?
4: I do the thing, like, in Saving Private Ryan, where it's like, and I kind of, like, look around, like, what's going on? And I see people still on the ground, and I see the master like casting something with both hands. I'm just like, nah, no, not today. The yellow king does not approve. (laughs) And I snap my finger and point like a finger gun at him. Okay, so go ahead and roll. Eleven.
0: As you point at the spell, you can see the yellow energy. It looks like it's almost like physically trying to like rip into the, the magical energies that he's still weaving. You can see that you are taking quite a bit out of this spell. It will be significantly less effective than it would have otherwise. But stopping it is just beyond your capabilities. You know, through your patron, you are no slouch when it comes to magic. But ultimately, you are channeling arcane energy magical energy whereas the master in his current form is a physical embodiment of magic quinn you've made it behind the planter and are now in cover the master's chanting is starting to reach a crescendo something is about to happen so i think this is probably the last chance to do something to stop him from casting this spell uh, what do you want to do I want to try to take aim, like,
3: at one of the, the brazier's legs and see if I can try to shoot it out. I'll use a grip point to do rapid fire and maybe try to, like, take two shots
0: at a leg or something like that, or, or, or two different legs. Based on the thickness of it, you would guess it would, it would probably take at least two shots if you're just trying to blow one of the legs off. Okay. Well. In quick succession, your gun issues forth a double thundering. The master waves a hand dismissively in your direction, and one of the bullets just stops and drops out of the air. The other one continues forward, though, and impacts the leg of the brazier. The brazier wobbles, but remains standing. Damn. As you reflexively move behind cover again, it occurs to you that if he hadn't been casting another spell at that time, he could have easily stopped both of your bullets. Then the kudu-headed figure raises both of his hands into the air, and a wave of black energy sweeps out across the room. Quinn and Elieff are behind the planter, so they do not get hit by it. The rest of you, as this black, smoke-like energy washes over you, you can feel it sapping energy out of your body. This is, again, not nearly as strong as it would have been if it hadn't been for Rackham, but you are all going to take three damage as that black energy sweeps by you you can see the master still in the center of the ritual circles hands still raised and you can see the wounds from hans and calico begin to heal and the decayed flesh around them begin to heal as well as if the energy he had just taken from you is being put back into this physical form darkness rolls over the skylight and the room once again Question. Yes.
1: Can I use my grappling hooks to knock these
0: things over? You would have to find some way to get some mechanical advantage out of the situation. Otherwise, if you're just pulling on it with a rope, you're still not going to be strong enough because of that debility.
2: Can I run at one and push it over?
0: Sure. Closest one is uh, has Calico lying behind it right now, and then the other two are kind of like slightly behind the master on the far side of that pedestal.
2: Like I can do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If, if anyone's cool with
4: that.
1: I'm going to like go behind the planter next <laughs> to that if I see him running
0: up toward me. Yeah, I just want to move um, where Calico is. Okay, the Bane siblings dash and take cover behind one of the planters. Elieff and Quintus are still down behind their respective planters. When Hans is only about 10 feet from the brazier, the master looks at him, flicks a finger, in like a little kicking motion, and Hans, you go flying backward across the room. You crash into and through the glass wall of the greenhouse, and then into and through the plants and some of the small trees beyond. Your armor takes the brunt of the damage and you will emerge unscathed. The greenhouse is, like, way far away from us. They're not that far. Um, I mean, they are They are deep. Like, it might t- it, it's going to take him a hot second to get back.
5: So, if I can speak out of character for a second, we're pretty sure that, like, he's not going to let us knock over any of the other braziers. Is that...
0: He's trying to stop us. Yeah. Actually, since you're asking, why don't you roll discern realities?
5: Well, that ain't good. I got a 3.
0: Oh, that is n- not good. As you're peeking over the edge of the planter and like trying to like taking stock of the situation, the master is going to throw uh, a ball of black energy and is going to destroy this planter. So you are now exposed. It didn't hurt you, but that planter is gone. Okay.
1: Can I discern reality? Sure. I got a 9. That's one question. Yeah. What here is useful or valuable?
0: The answer I want to give you is that the braziers, like knocking over the braziers is useful, but I think you guys have figured that out already. Yeah. Okay, here it is. So because you've been trying to knock the braziers over, you've been studying them, you've seen the rest of the group's attempts at dealing with them as well. What you think would be very useful is a more coordinated effort you are not strong enough on your own to tip one of them over. Hans, on his own, just went up and then got thrown like a rag doll. Quintus, shooting on his own, was thwarted. Elief is the only one who has knocked one over by himself so far, but you think that could be more because he surprised the DM? I mean, the master? <laughs> but now the master is on his guard about it. Essentially, going one-on-one with the master is, is going to be the best path to failure, because he is simply too strong for one of you to handle, but together. Yeah, the gray of morning light rolls across the skylight and the room. So as that is kind of clicking into place for you, you see the master begin chanting and casting again. I would like to counter spell it. All
4: right. Okay.
1: So can I like signal the other two that while Brackham distracts him, that we should like work toward knocking the creatures over.
0: How are you trying to signal to them?
1: I'm sending the chinchilla. Ah! <laughs>
0: Okay, so you pull the little clockwork chinchilla out of your bag. It can basically repeat a message that it hears. So, what would you like to say to your companions?
1: Rackham and I are going to provide a distraction, knock over as many braziers as you can.
0: Okay, and then who are you sending it to first?
1: Elia, and Quinn, and then wherever Hans is.
2: Hans is trying to climb out of the uh, woods back there. <laughs>
0: So by the time you get the chinchilla out, say that to it and send it on its way. Rackham is casting his disjuncture. Ten. So again, the yellow glow of your magic goes streaking out. And again, it looks like you are dampening some of the shadow energies that he is pulling in around himself, but you are nowhere near stopping this thing.
2: I want to run back behind the planter where Rackham and Calico are.
0: So yeah, probably won't be, probably won't get up to this time, but pretty soon you will. I cannot stop the spell,
5: so I am just going to try to, like, do a sweet, like, dive and barrel roll to my left behind the planter with Quinn. It's enough to fit two people, right? Oh yeah. In a pinch, I would even let you guys do three behind one, but... Okay. And I'm going to say to Quinn, when Hans gets back, the three of us should try to knock over three different ones at once, so that, because he, he keeps trying to shoot these beams of energy to stop us. But if all three of us do it at once, then I don't know that he can shoot three beams. Right. And I think the three of us are the only ones strong enough to do it. Well, I don't know how strong you actually are. You might have good dexterity. Uh, I'm I'm totally strong, man. (laughs) I mean, you look like you got big guns. I don't really know you, but
3: I mean, you're not wrong. (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm actually going to try while well, he just kind of shouted that quick information at me. They're mm-hmm. so like, okay, he's dealing with the spell right now, so if there's a chance I can use the opportunity to take a shot at the brazier I was taking a shot at while he's
0: focused on that, you can try. And he is irritated by Rackham meddling with his spell again, and so doesn't notice you until it's too late. The shot rings out. <laughs> It hits the already damaged leg and the brazier goes toppling.
3: Does that interrupt his spell at all?
0: Yes, but probably not in the way you would have hoped. It seems to really piss him off and he takes like all that energy that was gathering around him and funnels it down to a beam and shoots it right at you. It hits you like a heart attack. The pain in your chest doubles you over. The effect is reduced thanks to Rackham. However, the last time he was doing this type of magic, it was something that affected the whole room. In this, a similar amount of energy has been funneled directly into you. So you're going to take a minus three debility to constitution, and so that will affect your current and maximum HP. Damn. Is this like forever, or should I part this separate? I mean, it's a world with magic in it, so forever is a strong word, but for our purposes... I got you.
1: So while that's happening, can I throw a grappling hook at the one that's closest to me, and Rackham helps me pull it down?
0: Yeah, I'm good with that. As the two of you are preparing and starting to grapple brazier, Hans, you've made your way out of the greenhouse, and you're just a little bit more running before you can get back with the group. The gray of morning light rolls across the skylight and the room. Quinn and Ilyaf, what are you doing? I turn and look back at Ilya, and it's like my face is covered
3: in black energy. I'm like, that was bad. (laughs)
5: I'm just gonna try to like keep moving around counterclock or cou- I'm sorry clockwise like around. So I'm gonna try to jump to like the fountain and then the next planter over.
3: Okay. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm, I'm gonna uh, sit there and just try to like recover from that blast that. And I'm basically as I'm kind of just preparing and kind of watching to see what the group does. I'm just preparing myself for
0: another open uh, opportunity basically. As the Bane siblings get their grappling hook set in the side of the Brazier. The master spreads his hand, raising it high up. This fog starts to seep up from the ground wherever it touches, like it starts to frost over and the temperature drops dramatically, probably like a 10 foot area around the two of you. Where it touches your exposed skin, you start getting frostbite. The plants in the planter die and wilt and the rope that you're pulling on starts to crystallize as it freezes and then the rope snaps. Just becoming too brittle with the cold. Well, yeah. You don't take any damage, but you are starting to get frostbite, which can become quite serious quite quickly. And there certainly seems to be a chance that you might get frozen to the floor if you stay where you are.
2: I'd like to move forward and use my gauntlets again and i'm honestly not scared to use the gauntlets right behind rackham and calico so (laughs) i feel like i i will (laughs) just go ahead and try and fire at can i see any of the brazier things
0: yeah i would say you can see all of them like the the platform that they're around is not very tall so it's not it doesn't obscure them you could see all three of them
2: yes i'd like to fire at the one that's like right in front of me
0: okay you're doing that beam of light again yeah
2: Well, I would be doing that beam of light again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. But it's a five. Oh, my gosh. Um,
2: And I explode again right behind Rackham and Calico.
0: So the light comes streaming out of the gauntlets, but instead of that concentrated, tight beam like it has been before, like it was against the blind god, it's more like a scatter, um, more like just like a shotgun blast. And so it's going to hit, it hits Rackham and Calico, and it destroys that planter that you guys were (laughs) hiding behind. Does also destroy that brazier. Nice. You're welcome. But... Hans, roll damage. Ten. So Rackham and Calico are both going to take ten damage. God
2: mm-hmm. damn. Goddamn! Can I use my human race ability thing and re-roll my damage roll?
0: Sure. Maybe even worse. Oh. Uh.
4: God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> right
2: now. <laughs> You don't take 10, you take 11.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I'm charging
1: the master guy and I'm dying, so whatever, it's nothing left anyway.
0: With that brazier being taken out, the master screams and twists his hand in the air and That mist that is still kind of hanging around swirls like it's going down to drain, but like reverse and like solidifies around your legs. The three of you are now frozen in place. Your arms, torso, heads are fine, but your legs are frozen to the floor.
5: I'm going to try to make a break for the brazier that's due north of the master.
0: I'm going to back him up. Tell me how.
3: Okay, I'm shooting at the brazier that he's running for as well to try to aid him with shooting the leg out of it.
0: Okay, so let's resolve that first. Go ahead and make your shot. 13. Well, that's a good hit, or it would have been. But the Master blocks it. While he is blocking that, though, Eliaf, you have a chance to run up on the Brazier. Give me a Defy Danger Dexterity. Eight. So you can either make it, but you might take some damage from him, or leave your sword and shield behind and just kind of like toss them as you run to get that little extra burst to get there or you can realize it's not going to work and stay behind the planter closest to it
5: i'll make it and take some damage
0: so the master throws this frost storm down on calico rackham and hans hears quinn's shoot turns and knocks that out of the air and then sees you running for the brazier and sends a bolt of black energy your way but it's sloppy and it skims your shoulder. So you're only gonna take two damage. And you are now in position on the brazier. Roll plus strength. 12. You take that thing out. All right. The master is going to snarl. Before I am through with you, you'll beg for annihilation. He's looking at F and he raises one hand behind him, and one of the corpses by the first brazier lifts slightly off the ground. The flesh just, like, wilts and, like, decays. Like, you're watching, like, almost like almost like a time-lapse thing. You just see this thing, like, decay down to bones in seconds. As that is happening, you see the master's wound close back up. His, his skin that has started to decay get its, like, vitality back. He looks pretty vital, again.
1: Can I throw a dagger at him so Elieff can go get the final razor thing?
0: Sure. Are you communicating this to Elieff in any way? Uh,
1: Because your chinchilla
0: is probably, like, just getting to Quinn now.
1: Yeah, I know. I don't know. I feel like if he sees the master, like, turning to see us, he would... Right?
5: And also, I think it's pretty well established at this point that my goal was to be running around knocking them over. I mean, I've knocked three of them over already. Two. so okay. well Over. so
0: Ilya, so are you are you just going for that last razer
5: uh as long as he's not like targeting me with a spell then he's yes looking it, right at
0: you right now okay then i okay, would probably so yeah,
1: I do that and then i would throw a thing at his back
0: go ahead and roll your attack calco and 11 your dagger stops just short Almost like it's like like hitting like a force field sort of thing behind the master and just kind of drops uh, down by his feet. Uh, but it does cause him to turn just a little bit and that does give Elef time to run behind the planter safely. Yay. so, Rackham, Calico, and Hans are all frozen to the floor, just kind of to the southeast of the master. Quinn is hanging out behind a planter to the west, and Eliaf just dodged behind a planter to the north. Um, so you do have him surrounded. Darkness rolls over the skylight in the room once again. I want to take a health potion. I'm assuming you're taking the hit points. Right. Yeah, hit okay. points.
1: Yeah. I'm going to do that too.
0: I want to make my way to the
3: north of where I'm at, to that planter. If I
2: can. Okay. So I want to like run behind the. Which way is the master? You're frozen. Your
0: your feet frozen. are
2: frozen. Oh fuck me. So you have to do it
1: between. You have to do the same way you did it before, and hopefully don't kill us.
2: All right. Except it... this
1: time, I'm healed again, so you should be okay.
2: It is the gauntlets then.
1: <laughs> okay, we don't, we don't kill. Oh Jesus! Really?
2: <laughs> well, it's it's this whole debility thing that's killing me.
0: It is a six. <laughs> in a failure. You bring the gauntlets together again, and a beam of light comes shooting out of them, pure and straight and tight and right toward the master, who is starting to turn because Calico had thrown that dagger at him, and he sees the light coming at him, and he just puts out a hand. Like Yoda grabbing the force lightning. The light just like flows into his hand and he gets a little bit larger. And this white energy starts to swirl around him as well as that black energy now. Eliaf, you are watching that, and he is distracted. Alright, I will I'll go for that last bracer. Roll plus dexterity again. Eight so same deal if you can make it there but you will take some damage or you can move closer and stay safe
5: okay i'll take some damage
0: okay like a hot wind breathing by you you feel a blast of energy just graze your arm you're gonna take three damage and then you can roll to try to tip this brazier 12. you run up you get under you push up and over and the brazier goes crashing down The master screams. He turns toward Kara's body and shoots out that white energy from his hand, and it begins to flow into her. And she slowly raises up off the ground, almost like a marionette. Like there are invisible strings, like lifting her limbs, like, and her hands and arms are still limp, but they're moving and, like, grabbing the blades from her belt. and as she begins to move forward toward Rackham and Calico and Hans, like, her feet are kind of dragging like as like a force. It's just kind of lifting her off the ground rather than actually fully animating her. Well, that didn't do what I hoped it would.
4: Well, I'm probably going to shoot a, a brimstone blast at Kara because I don't want her shambling over to us. That's not cool. I'm going to shoot the Master, too.
5: I am going to assume that my plan all along was to knock the Bracers over and then see if he's vulnerable, so I'm just going to run at him.
1: I would probably try to throw a dagger before Eliot got to him.
2: So let's talk about this ice. Is it? Are we like in ice blocks or, or?
0: It's more like ice sculptures. Like, your legs look like ice sculptures, but you know that underneath the ice, your legs are whole. They're very, very cold, but you still feel them.
2: Okay. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I got, I don't know if I can punch it or just use my sword. I'm afraid of, like, using my sword and then hurting myself.
0: Well, there are not yeah. pointy parts of swords.
2: Yeah. Well, then that's it. I will try to break the ice
0: on at least
2: one of my legs.
0: Let's roll this as Ben bars lift gates for you.
2: I can do that. Nine. So seven through nine, I can choose two. I will say it doesn't take very long and nothing of value is damaged. like
0: nice, my nice. You draw your sword, and then with two hammer hand-like strikes, you pound the pommel of your sword into your icy legs. You knock off enough big chunks and cause enough big cracks are able to kick the rest of your way out, and you are free. The gray of dawn rolls across the skylight and the room let's do the ranged folks rack em. Why don't we start with you? Go ahead and cast good. 10. That's a good cast. So go ahead and roll your damage. Six damage. Your brimstone orb hits her square in the chest. So as the black fire starts like licking around her body, she doesn't show any signs of pain. She doesn't, She's not you know, showing any sort of emotion at all, but you can tell it's not doing as much damage as it should. It's almost like she does not have a soul to burn. Well, right. Quinn and Calico, go, why don't you go ahead and roll. 10. 12. The master turns and knocks your bullet out of the air, Quinn. Um, and your calico, your dagger stops just like just short of his back again. While dealing with those, has left an open for elief who can make it up onto the platform. I'm just gonna
5: try a big two-handed, or sl- well, I guess one-handed. I have a shield, so just big.
0: That is a ten. That's a good hit. I'll roll your damage. That's eleven damage. As you are coming in with your attack, your blade glowing with the holy light of Helm, you hit and there's like a little, almost like a little, like, sonic boom. And the master, like, staggers forward a couple of steps um, as the blade just, like, bites deep into his side. Again, like, the, that flesh where the wound is, the actual cut starts to heal over, and his body, like, around it just starts to de- decay. His entire side, like, shrivels up into a desiccated skeleton just to kind of heal that one wound. That was a good hit. That was a that was a big hit.
5: Nice. Should I tell you I'm using Setup Striker?
0: Tell me, because you have to tell me who you're setting up.
5: Okay, I'm gonna try to set up Quinn for an open shot.
0: Okay, so next time you shoot Quinn, you can you do an extra d4 damage. If you hit him. I'll hit, I'll hit him, don't worry. being this close to the master, you can see that as he clutches his wounded side, his eyes dart first to the remaining dead bodies in the ritual circle, and then to all the overturned and destroyed braziers. And he seems quite upset about that. You recall that when the braziers were still lit, he had used one of the bodies to heal himself. And that seems to no longer be an option, now that the braziers have been taken care of. Nice. Darkness rolls over the skylight and the room once again. The master whirls on elief Oh, no. Say so that sets up my opportunity to hit him. <laughs> you are but insects to me. I will see the death of this age and the dawn of the next. The master then just pushes a hand out toward you, and you feel yourself thrown backward through the air. You come crashing down just shy of the greenhouse on the northern side of the chamber. You are going to take six damage. Kara is going to finish closing the distance. She has two black iron scimitars that she just starts like slashing at Rackham with and her arms make these really weird movements because they're kind of just, like, limp, but they're moving and, like, fast, but they don't move like you expect them to. They pivot from unexpected joints, like a puppet being jerked around by an erratic puppeteer. On top of that, because Rackham's feet are still frozen to the ground, he might as well be defenseless against her onslaught. Rackham, that will be nine damage. All right. So Kara is... She's just going to keep fucking up Rackham. Can I, like, sw- can I stab her?
1: her? Can I throw my handkerchief thing at her to try to, like, cut off one of her arms?
0: Yeah. I'm free. You guys can do all those things. Want me to go? That's fine.
2: I was, I was gonna, like, try and stab her right through the, her gut.
0: Well. well,
1: I was cutting off... trying to cut off an arm so that she would stop her abilities to stab you. It
0: sounds like all three of you are attacking her, so we will do those things.
2: Okay. What do I need to level
0: up? Uh, you need a long rest. Uh oh, well, this is worthless. Well, it doesn't I rolled a five. Oh, my goodness. Hans going in for the attack, and like the way that she is moving, just it's so like unnatural, but like fast, but like weird because she's all like limp and puppety. You go to like stab, and she's just not there. And then <laughs> both of her scimitars are just come right, like flashing back at you. I'm a four. Ten damage. I'm gonna fucking stab this bitch. Roll hack and slash. You run into a very similar problem as Hans, compounded by the fact that you can't move. She does seven damage to you. All right, that's not good. Calico, you are also going to be attacking her. You are watching Hans and Rackham both attack, and she is just moving out of the way and cutting them open. They're both bleeding. What are you doing?
1: I'm going to throw my scarf thingy or my handkerchief. Twelve.
0: If you're still interested, with a 12, I would let you do zero damage to her, but cut off one of her arms, or you can just do normal damage.
1: I can't take off both arms at the same time, can I?
0: No, because there are classes that can earn special moves that will let them cut off limbs, so even giving you the one feels like a bit of a stretch. I didn't think so.
1: Well, now she's only slashing with one weapon, so we're starting Mm -hmm. progress.
0: So you throw your handkerchief out, and it turns into like a whirling saw blade. One of Kara's arms is raised to deliver another strike at Rackham, when the handkerchief catches her mid-bicep. Her arm and sword go clattering to the floor. She is not phased by this at all. In fact, periodically... Through the rest of this little dance, you'll see that the stub of her one arm still swinging as if she had a sword in it.
3: I would like to use a grip point, Thomas. Okay. And I'm going to attempt to do an arterial shot, but I'm also going to use my gauntlet.
0: Oh. Okay. Tell me about that. Tell me what you're. Tell me what you're doing.
3: So I kind of just like I'm 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 hearing the commotion going on, and I just take like a quick like breather behind this planter and kind of just like clench my fist that the gauntlet rests on and I would say, those of the Orias, lend me your strength. Then kind of just like stand up from like behind the thing and just take aim at
0: the master. As you begin to stand, you can feel the familiar rush of the magic of the gauntlet. The experiences and expertise of generations of gunslingers before you are channeled through the gauntlet into you. You shoulder the rifle and lay your sights on top of the master, knowing that with your ancestors behind you, you cannot miss. Your gun roars. The master half-turns and waves a hand, like he had so many other times before. But the bullet keeps going, and punches into the master. Roll your damage.
3: 13 damage,
0: and he also, because of the grit point, has extreme bleed which manifests itself like he's not actually bleeding. It's just more and more of him is like rotting, decaying away as his lich form is trying to make up for the damage to, the, to its physical form. It's just like cannibalizing it itself. I think actually, I think the shot, because you are always going for the head anyway, hits the, the kudu mask and like cracks it and it falls off. And you can see the toll of the damage that you and Elif have done to the thing have taken on its physical form. The hole in its cheek where you shot it is puckered and bloodless. His skin is gray, brittle, and taut to his skull, like you would expect from a body found buried in the desert for a 1,000 years. Through its empty eye sockets, the hole in its cheek, and in places where its skin has grown incredibly thin, you can see that black, smoky energy swirling around inside the master. It is like a horrible jack-o'-lantern that instead of a cozy candle is illuminated by darkness.
3: I'm, I'm more scared.
0: The gray light of dawn rolls over the skylight in the room. So Calico took off one of Kara's arms, but she was still attacking with the other. So that's another four damage for Rackham. She just doesn't seem to be slowed down by losing an arm and just continues hacking at you. Can, can I, I try to and to take
1: the other arm? Or he can try to take the other arm. No. Nope. I don't care.
0: I don't Somebody care. Just <laughs> make <sure>. I just <laughs> wanna like try and cut her in half. Roll hack and slash.
1: Fuck me! Oh god,
2: I even got new dice.
1: Alright, so I'm trying again. Was it
0: <laughs> was it another fail? Five again. Damn, dude.
1: <laughs> He's really subconsciously just wants to kill Rackham.
0: <laughs> so Hans comes in for a big swing at Kara's middle. And the zombie puppet suddenly goes completely limp, collapsing into a heap on the ground. As soon as Hans's blade flashes over top of her, she springs back upward, her saber raking up Hans's side as she stands back up. So she'll do six damage.
1: Uh, I'm gonna throw the handkerchief at her again. Try to take off the other one. Nine.
0: So I'm going to say, roll your damage and then minus a d6. Seven. The handkerchief whizzes by her neck. At first, you think that you missed, until Kara twirls to the side. Her head lolls onto her shoulder, stretching her neck and opening the big gash that you have left there. All right, I'm going to try to stab her in the fucking head with my spear. Okay. Nine. Okay, so nine on a hack and slash... Uh, You deal your damage, and she's going to deal damage to you. And I rolled a four. She got a seven. You slam your spear home into her gut. Her body, almost going completely limp, flops forward, basically laying down along the length of the spear. And then her remaining arm pinwheels, bringing the scimitar down heavy into your shoulder.
4: Yeah, I'm, like, got one hit point left.
0: Um, Guys, please help me here.
4: I'm trying... Eliaf and Quinn, what are you guys doing? I'm just going to try to run
5: back into the fray.
3: I'm going to try to, I guess, shoot at him again to hopefully distract him so Ilya can get closer. I'm going to do a rapid fire grip point to fire two shots.
0: See if he can stop that one. Okay. Quinn, go ahead and roll your attack. sounded very ominous when he said (laughs) that. Ten. Your gun thunders twice. The master raises both of his hands, and the bullets fall to the ground. Let's make this a little interesting. Elief, as you are running back toward the ritual circle, you see two things. One, you see puppet zombie Kara slash Hans knocking him away. Then it seems to almost be climbing up Rackham's spear, Chopping into his shoulder, and then her arm raising again for another blow. Calico is still frozen to the ground, a ways away, is not going to be able to react in time. If somebody doesn't change that situation, Rackham is going to die. The second thing that you see, in turning and bringing both of his hands and his and his full attention to bear, blocking Quinn's rapid fire, you see an opening in the lich's defenses, and it's just a chance. But you think it's a pretty good chance that if you take this opportunity, you could kill the lich outright right now. What would you like to do? I will go over to Zombie Kara. So tell me what it looks like as you go, like rushing up uh, into this fray.
5: I don't know. I guess I try to run and maybe, um, like push her back with the shield to try to like get between Rackham and her.
0: Go ahead and roll uh, hack and slash then. That's a nine. You get in between them. Your shield is up. You have just saved his life. Um, you look
4: like an angel to me.
0: And Kara does land a hit on you while you're pushing her back. Four damage.
5: Not looking so hot. I want to try to heal. I want to heal um, Rackham. Okay. Oh shit. I only got a five.
0: So you are moving your shield around, trying to keep it and yourself in between Kara and and rack him and then you start to try to back up and reach out backwards to touch him to heal him and Kara does a kind of ballerina-esque almost pirouette type move and then bends over backwards like she's going to be doing an arch and so from this weird angle with your shield going the other way and your sword kind of out of commission as you reach she stabs up into you for six damage okay
1: can I throw my handkerchief at her again? Sure. Maybe I the other arm again. Eleven.
0: Oh. Roll your damage.
1: Nine.
0: The handkerchief whirls out just as she's doing that weird backbend thing to stab Elieff. And so it spins up and slams into her spine and actually kind of seems to like stick there for just a moment before you can say the command word and recall it. It pops out with a splash of fluids. <laughs> It's very quickly clear that there's something wrong. as She tries several times to right herself or to move around. Her movements are far more jerky, and she just is not able to get back up out of that back bend. Uh, as you hear other things breaking and tendons snapping. And then finally, she just collapses. The Master, clearly not interested in continuing to play with a broken toy. I'm across the room and I'm saying, guys, help!
2: Can I run back toward or over toward the the planter like to the north uh, east and try and fire off my gauntlet again while the master's looking at Quinn? Sure. Not using the dice tower this time. I've rolled four straight 2 and 1. This Holy is another cow, five.
0: Dude. Holy cow. Okay.
2: I don't understand. What's that?
0: <laughs> Boy, I I am sorry about this that many failures that's that's got to be something you punch the gauntlets forward again you feel that ancient magic welling up inside of them coursing through them through you and then nothing the energy is coursing through you but there's no beam of golden energy streaming forward Then your hand that is holding your sword begins to vibrate. And you can see that the sword is now beginning to glow with that golden energy. And you realize that it's not flying forth from the gauntlets because it is all being channeled into your sword. And it begins to shake more and more violently until it explodes. Your armor protects you from the shards. As they go flying, but your sword, your signature weapon, is gone.
2: Uh, Hans, like, just, like, drops to his knees. The pieces are all on the ground, and he's devastated, so he's lost in the moment at this point.
5: Fair enough. What are the rest of you doing? I would like to drink a healing
3: potion. Okay. I'm gonna keep shooting at the master to distract him. Okay. Okay.
1: I was going to hand Rackham a healing potion, but can I not, like, take a shot at the master guy at the same time?
0: Maybe in a slightly lower stakes situation, but with how fast things are moving right now, and the fact that you and Rackham are still frozen to the floor a ways away from each other, so handing him a potion is going to be tricky enough in itself, you can only do one or the other.
1: (laughs) I guess I'll give Rackham a healing potion.
4: Thank you. I'm taking that, by the way, just so you know. Okay.
0: Quinn, roll to shoot. Okay. The master waves dismissively, and the bullet turns around and starts flying back at you. With all of his attention on you, the bullet is going to hit you. So go ahead and roll your damage. Five. Because you kind of know what to expect, and you are not completely defenseless. You dodge, and the bullet just grazes you. So you're going to take three damage instead. I'm going to yell, Hans, get up. We all have to attack him at the same time.
2: It's probably going to take me, like, another second to gather myself up, but, I mean, I was planning on it being like uh, he's going to get
0: angry and stand up. So would Elif's shout help to rouse you? Yeah. Is anybody opposed to Elif's plan? Like, is anybody going to be doing their own thing? No? Okay, so let's lay out your plan. What are you all doing? I'm gonna. I want to toss Hans my spear. Ilya just he shouted at everybody that we need to
2: all attack at once. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I would picture him throwing me the spear, me chucking the spear at the master like as soon as I get it, and then everybody else doing their thing. Yeah, like-
1: yeah, and I would throw a poison dagger or two. Um, oh.
5: I think I would charge so that I'm trying to time it like to get there after the. Ranged attacks, all hex. I think everybody else is ranged.
0: At this moment, it seems like yeah. Unless what's Rackham doing? in the spear, or is that after? You can attack? you can attack as well. Oh yeah, then I'm gonna uh, fire um, chaos blast at him. Okay. We are gonna do a move called struggle as one, which we haven't done since the heist back in Arthamore. Hey. Um, everybody is gonna roll, and basically you guys are going to succeed or fail as a group. Um, oh, Lord, Adam. <laughs> if you... Anybody who gets a 10-plus does well enough that they can help somebody who has failed out of a, a spot.
2: Oh, my fucking... I guess some, I'll, I'll help them.
1: I got 11, so that might help.
2: I
3: got 10. I got a 12.
2: I got a 2 and a 1, plus 2. It's five I got, Again. I, got a,
3: I
0: got a 13. Five times in a row, it's two I <laughs> Okay, so We're you all. all Adam. <laughs> how are, how are all of you, or one of you helping Hans? You see, as Hans is winding back up with that spear, you see him pause again, just for that moment, like that, that doubt and the pain of of, of losing his sword, like str- hits him again, and he's gonna falter.
4: After I threw it, and I saw him catch it, get ready to throw it, I'm gonna mm-hmm. say. The Yellow
0: King will guide you. I kind of wanted to shout across the room and just say, stop trying to hit him and hit him. What does it look like when the energy you draw from the Yellow King, when that does come into Mm -hmm. play here?
4: All the markings that I have on myself turning yellow. The spear starts
0: glowing yellow as well. Quinn's gun thunders throughout the atrium again. (laughs) This now glowing spear is flying through the air. Calico's daggers are on their way. Elieff is just coming up the couple steps of the platform at the master and Rackham's blast of energy just flying over Elieff's head. And the bullet rips into the side of the master and the spear catches him in the gut and a dagger catches him in one shoulder and then another one like in the thigh. And then there's a blast of chaos energy that blows big chunks of this now decayed um, flesh away from his shoulder. One arm just kind of falls like limp and useless. And then Elif is up there in front of him, his sword glowing the, the might of Helm with one big holy slash takes the master's head off and his body crumbles into dust on the platform and the head rolls off down the platform down those two steps it rolls up next to Kara's you know mutilated body and then it too just falls into dust Hans is just going
2: to like drop down to one knee and like
0: not really say anything darkness rolls over the skylight and the room once again Eliash you know that this is almost over He is a lich, which means his soul is protected in that box on the pedestal. And you need to find a way to destroy it before the master is truly destroyed. Why is it me? You know because you're a holy warrior. It doesn't necessarily have to be you. And in fact, most of them, when they're created, the magic that creates them means that there's only one way to destroy them.
1: Is there a discerned reality that would help us? You can try. Well, I got a nine.
0: So you have one question. What's useful. So you're standing in the middle of the ritual circles, just kind of scanning the room, looking for anything the master may have brought that could help you. And your eyes fall on the sword that the master used to kill Kara. Hans, Elief, and Calico, you recognize this as the sword that Then used to carry. And on at least one or two occasions, let slip that it was a demon blade that he had found during his travels with Leandros, in the ethereal plane. Quintus, you recognize this as the blade that you took from Than's body and that Leandros wanted desperately to use for some probably necromantic ceremony.
1: Ah, we will use the demon blade to destroy it.
0: Who's, who's using it? Me. So you bring demon blade down on top of the box and it shatters, it just explodes. <laughs> and the amethyst that goes flying around just like disappears into the air and you could feel the sword grow warm in your hand and it kind of glints a little bit um, even though there's no light to glint in. And then the sword becomes too hot for you to hold and you're forced to, to drop it. And it just kind of lays on the platform, seemingly harmless. The gray light of dawn rolls across the skylight and the room. Sometime later, there is a blur of activity. You are tired, worn thin, and utterly spent. There are pleasantries exchanged between you and the Carsaros. They are grateful. You are wounded and exhausted. They offer you a place to rest and heal. You ask for the way out. Each of you are given a ring that will let you enter and leave the shadow via Carsaro Keep whenever you want. The doors of the main entrance to the keep open easily before you. The sky is gray. Compared to the starless, moonless night of the past month, it is glorious. And as you walk through the gates of the mansion, the first rays of the sun crest the horizon and light your way out of the shadow. Epilogue Temperance Atop the highest balcony of Karsaro Keep, Sirik, the Mad God, the Lord of Lies, watches as five wanderers leave the manor. As he stands watching, a green fox with a peacock tail jumps up onto the railing and slowly walks towards Sirik. It's the the same fox uh, who spoke to Then in that alternate version of the Feywild. Um, its attention is also focused on the scene below, watching these five leave the shadow. Without looking at him, Cyric says, You insist on the most ridiculous of forms. Garth replies, It's not for you. Ciric, looking unimpressed, motions towards the group below. So that's it. All of this just for them to walk away and scatter, Garth replies. You're still not watching the ripples. Cyric looks pretty pissed at this. And Garth tilts his head, still watching them walk towards the the now rising sun in the distance. And says, you know, you almost had me fooled. You seemed so focused on Leandros. That fool was a mere pawn. Garth now looking at Cyric says, and yet you keep his soul around your neck. Siric absentmindedly starts to kind of finger the the ruby uh, amulet. It must have slipped my mind. I have no need of him. He gives the the ruby a yank and pops the chain off on the back and then just tosses the ruby over the balcony. Garth watches intently as the ruby falls uh, five stories to shatter on the, the cobblestones of the courtyard below. And then Garth gives a little nod. And there's a silence between this strange pair that no mortal could see if they were there and then cyric again says i'll admit i don't quite know what game you're playing all of this fens capture the wizard in the ethereal the burning of arthamore leandros the silence the shadow and then these fools the King of Cups, the Devil Thief, the Chariot Justice, the Fool Prophet, the Knight of Swords. I see what you did to put each piece in place. I even see now how everything I did was part of your plan, but I, I don't know for what. Garth's lips curl into what would pass as a, uh, a smile for a fox. And he lets out a little chuckle and says admonishingly, Spoilers! The Chariot Justice Quinn, you've spent the first couple of weeks back in Praham being debriefed and questioned by various Justicar officers and consulars of the, the Twelve Tables, the council that oversees the Primarchy's laws. How much did you tell them about what happened in Carsaro Vale?
3: Enough of to get an idea of what happened, but maybe not every detail.
0: And so, what did you tell them about the Glass family now? Yes, I did. T- I did tell them about the Glass family. Okay. And so, you had said earlier that you wanted to submit a, re- a request to your superiors. Is that still? Yeah, probably. Okay. To see what they w- see, what they would do at least. Mm-hmm. Your request doesn't get much traction. It seems like they don't want to directly say no, and so that's probably being shifted around somewhere in the bureaucracy just into your third week back you receive a summons to the hall of justice And so we find you sitting in a room, mostly white marble, large columns, um, a large black marble table runs down the middle of the room. The north and west sides of the room are open. There's only columns um, leading out onto a balcony and a stunning view of perhaps the most extraordinary city in all of Aria. Dominating the view, um, in fact it dominates almost every view of the city, is the Primarch's palace. Imagine the the Pantheon in Rome, but about... 200 stories tall and large enough to cover like about 50 city blocks. While you wait, you find yourself fiddling with a bullet. It's just something that helps you focus, kind of helps you keep track of any of the tracking rounds you have out in the world. And as you're waiting, you have a a moment of reverie. Uh, Thinking back, did you have any parting words for your companions right after you left the keep?
3: Probably just, uh, thank you. I know we, uh, we had, uh, some iffy moments, disagreements. I apologize for my part in those. I'm gonna go probably my own way and my own path, and I don't know where that's gonna lead me or what's gonna happen, but there's some strange things in this world, and well, if you guys need me or hear of any news of other masters showing up, let me know. Send message to Pyram, and if you want it, you'd don't have to keep it but here take a take a bullet something to
0: remind you of myself and i give each of them a bullet so you do not wait long before a man walks into the room he's wearing cloth of gold robes a silver breastplate and a like a jedi style overcoat um also made of cloth of gold you recognize the livery as belonging to the shining force Um, so it's not much of a surprise when he announces I present Cadicia Augustalis, Exarch of Aria, Warden of the Eternal Princes, Pro Rex of Lepidus, and Commander Radiant of the Shining Force. And in walks Cadicia. Oh, uh, damn. She greets you, golden peace, Justicar. Uh, to which the traditional response is steel in war. Steel in war. Yeah, I bow and return the gesture. I've heard much of your exploits, Justicar. Depending on who you ask, you are either a prime example of the Primarchy's justice, or you are a liar and an attention whore. So which is it? I I definitely don't seek attention, at least not anymore. I see. So what did you leave out of your report? I am no cloistered princess. I know that there are things in war we do not speak of unless we must. Speak of them. I would just kind of be like, well, your highness, here's how it went and I would kind of just explain it to her. It, it was, it's just the two of us, right? Yes. Yeah, then I, yeah, I would kind of open up to her then. She nods as you tell her. I mean, she's definitely taking it in, and finally, when you when you finish, this says, Interesting. How would you like to be my personal knight, Justicar? Before you fully commit, I want to make sure you understand what I'm asking. You will answer solely to me. The Twelve Tables will be mere advisors to you. When I do not have a specific task for you, I would expect you to go out and hunt the dark things that threatened our land and our people. Evil enters like a needle and spreads like an oak. We cannot afford that. A storm is coming, and Arya must be strong.
3: Frankly, your highness, I didn't think anybody uh, of your station thought that way. Yes. If this means that things will finally get done, I will gladly stand by your side.
0: They call my father the Stalwart Emperor because he is steadfast. But we cannot remain motionless much longer. The things you saw in the Vale of Karsaro are just the tip of the iceberg that threatens all of Arya. I will act, and you will act on my behalf. Your first assignment will be to go to Arthamore. You will travel there with Machios Rufel. The first and second stars of the Shining Force are still in position around the city, they will support you. Remove the Queen in my name. Install Rufel as the Regional Governor. And she stands. And turns to, to start to leave. And of the allies I spoke of that helped me? What of them? Do we seek out their help or seek judgment on them? That will be up to you. Use whatever tools you require. But keep in mind, we must root out any threats to the Primarchy. Very well. And then she says again, Golden Peace. I re- respond accordingly. The Tower. In the days that followed the death of the blind god, the Carsaros mourned for the loss of their kin, as well as the things they'd been made to do while under the Apolith's control. On one of those days, Alonzo Carsaro is standing on a balcony overlooking the valley that the people who live there call Saromore. Eliardo steps through the door and moves to stand next to his father. Uh, should I come back another time, father? Uh, I don't wish to disturb you. Uh, Alonzo replies, Nonsense. We've been apart too long. Besides, I was merely musing on the winds of fate. Oh, is that all? Uh, Alonzo continues, I was thinking of old sayings, particularly one about how scarecrows have no thought to keep watch, and that stones have no knowledge of the ripples they cause, yet both undeniably change their worlds. Over the centuries, dozens of paladins... Kithsira warriors and adventurers seeking fame came to our valley to kill the Blind One. All of them failed, yet these strangers who were merely passing through freed us. It makes me wonder what other lands they will protect without thought of keeping watch, what other lives they will change with their ripples. There's a moment of silence between the two, and Aliarda nervously asks, speaking of ripples uh, what shall become of all of this and he gestures to the valley Alonzo says the shadow and the people are both secure though we were its prisoners we learned much from the blind one during the chaos of the night it died your mother and I were able to gather enough guests to create a new blood pack and to bind the magic of the shadow and to renew the gift of unending life for our people and what of those who do not want the gift or who wish to leave alonzo takes a moment and says do you think of arabella often aliardo nods alonzo continues after all these hundreds of years the pain of never again hearing the patter of her little feet or of her tiny laughter in the garden still pains me when she died i promised your mother i would find a way that we would never have to lose someone dear to us ever again our little haven is not enough To truly be free of that pain, we must spread our gift to all of Arya. That means for now, the people of the valley cannot leave. Their blood fuels our magics, and we will need vast amounts of both to spread our gift. You will help me to make a better world, won't you, son?" Aliardo straightens and looks his father in the eye for a long time, and then nods. Lonzo sighs and says, good, good, turns back to look across the valley. The next day, Eliardo rides away from Carsaro Keep. His horse is laden with traveling gear and provisions for a long trip. His cloak and garb are conspicuously bare of any Carsaro colors or marks. With the keep already small the distance he turns back one last time, and to the wind he says, though it might damn my soul, I cannot raise arms against you, so I will bring light. Anywhere you seek to spread the shadow. Eliardo then raises his hood and rides out of Saramore. The Fool Prophet. Rackham, you've returned with your sister to Arthamore. She is often busy with things for the class. While you help wherever and whenever you can, you still end up with a lot of time for yourself. Tell me something that you do with some of this free time
4: i like to think over time he would try to spread the word of the uh, king in yellow but also i also think that maybe he's a little less crazy than he used to let people think he was is he less crazy or is he
0: hiding it more maybe he's hiding it more okay so as you are out, probably about it's about two months after your adventure in the the shadow, you have gone about your routine of trying to spread the word. You've got your your pamphlets that you've you know, probably updated now that you've you know been back in Arthmore for a while. On this particular day, you give one of your pamphlets to a, a rotund human merchant who is hawking pottery. And the man strokes his big bushy beard as he gives it a look. He then gets very mad at you and he tears it up and throws it at you. He curses at you in between evoking Timora and asking for her protection. As you make a, a hasty retreat from this man, you think of some other rude people in your life and recall your, your farewell with the companions in the shadow. Did you have any parting words for them? Well, I don't have any parting words for
4: Calico, obviously. Right. Um, for Elief, I will say this. Uh, I only knew you a short time, but you helped me. Thank you. You're I- welcome to Quinn I'm gonna say um, you shot me one time and it hurt a lot but I don't blame you the yellow king watches you and I'm gonna walk away and then I'm gonna go to Hans and I'm gonna say this you were my best friend but no longer but I want you to keep my spear as a symbol of our friendship and also to remind you that we were friends and we'll walk away
0: <laughs> I wasn't planning on having a lot of back and forth with those but what, what does Hans do to that?
2: I feel like Han's like, is, like, he's like trying to give me the spear and I, I have like an open hand like pushing it back and he, I, I assume he's like is gonna keep pushing it like at me and I keep trying to push it back to him and he pushes it back at me and then I just like take it and I'm like whatever and I just stick it into the ground next to me.
0: Rackham, you are, you're snapped out of this reverie by a whisper in your ear. The words are nonsense but the warm breath tickles the hair on your neck. When you turn, there's no one there. As you scan the crowd, though, you see her, the woman from your vision, when the king in yellow brought you back. She is on the other side of the square. She's wearing a red coat that's cut to fit her like a dress. The coat goes all the way down to her ankles, the sleeves fall just past her wrists, and a row of buttons run from the hem all the way up the left side of her torso to a high collar that's tight under her chin. She's looking at you, And then she turns and looks down a side street not far from you. She looks back at you and then begins slowly walking toward that side street. When you catch up with her, she is approaching a carriage parked a little way down the street. Two footmen are helping her into the carriage. She turns and looks at you and gives you a slight head tilt, like get in. I do the thing where I like pop my head in. It's a really nice coach. Okay. When the door closes behind you, silence falls over the interior. All the sounds of the city outside, the busy market, are gone. She looks intently at you for a moment.
4: You are quite mad, are you not? Um, not at the moment. I mean, that man did say some mean things to me, but, I mean, it's okay.
0: Mad or not, you cannot go brazenly throwing out the name of the king. If those who are not ready hear his name or learn of our existence puts us all at risk. But doesn't he want more followers why do you think you know what he wants?
4: I—I I mean, I—I um, I guess I, I really don't. But um, I mean, to—he's uh, going to um, I, I, he's gonna stammer for a few more you, seconds.
0: You think he speaks to you, don't you? W- well, I mean, yeah, obviously. You know, <laughs> I, I, I... <laughs> oh, you poor thing. Hastur slumbers in the ruins of Carcosa. It is so powerful that merely by dreaming it births entire realities, worlds civilizations And by those same dreams are those realities split asunder. The death wails of those doomed dimensions echo across time and space and through the eternal depths of the void itself. From within that endless nothing, those echoes of horror feed the living nightmares there. Hungering for more, they attempt to burrow through the membrane between realities. Their grotesquely fat forms wedge into those jagged holes, only able to spew forth a Bit of afterbirth of the confluence of their hatred and suffering, these spawn bore their way into our reality and nest in the minds of mortals, slowly feasting on their host's fractured sanity. In those wretched mortals' final moments, before they perish into the infinite nothingness, they become a conduit. In those moments, those wretched creatures hear the echo of the whisper of the screams of dying dreams. That is what you hear, and in those fragments does the king in yellow grow stronger in this world. From now on, you will do as I say. You will tell me what you think you see and what you think you hear, and I will tell you what to do. But what about my sister? She's of no consequence, as long as she does not interfere. She's kind of busy. If nothing else, if you could use her to help us to our ends, all the I, I think she's
4: kind of busy. Do I need to leave
0: her? No, for now, you somewhere? can stay in the city. You will help us find the heralds they are the stepping stones to awaken pastor we know of only a few heralds two have already been found to the south an ancient creature waits its kind once did battle with gods and titans it has no love for this world and it guards a weapon that was once used against the king in yellow here in Arthamore, a lich seeks information from the city's magical colleges. They have gone by many names over many centuries, but now I believe they call themselves Orthorn, though we unfortunately have lost contact with her. The name means nothing to Rackham, but to us as an audience, Orthorn was the magic user who activated the teleportation circle and allowed the companions to enter the shadow. Wait, she was a lich? Yeah.
3: Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Then there is the Clavis Custodi, who carries a Chandrian, one of the keys to waking Hastur. Though some of the Blessed have seen her in visions, we know almost nothing of her, only that she has taken the first step to empowering the key. They say she travels with blue stars and sun. Now go, serve the Lord of Carcosa. Am I
4: going to keep hearing these voices?
0: Yes. Um, so should I keep listening? You'll have no choice. (laughs) For a long moment after Rackham leaves the carriage, the woman is silent, staring straight ahead at nothing. Then a dwarf appears on the bench opposite her, just a few feet to the right of where Rackham was sitting. His meticulous hair and beard are more white now than brown. He wears a bright yellow silk shirt, a long black overcoat, and black trousers. You didn't tell him the other part. She looks at him coolly for a moment, then says, While some of what the Blessed see are true prophecy, more often than not, all they see, all they hear, is the nonsense of diseased and broken minds. But even if it is true, we don't need that one running around, thinking he's some sort of chosen one. The dwarf smiles, shrugs, and then vanishes. The Hanged Woman. On the Fugue Plains, Kara Nilo, who used to be called Whisper, starts as if waking from a dream. A wind howls around her, blowing grey sand past where she is kneeling. A flat, desolate landscape stretches out all around her as far as the eye can see. The monotony is barely broken by figures scattered across the wasteland, trudging towards a glinting light on the horizon. As she stares at it, a voice interrupts her train of thought. That place is just boring without you. Kara turns and sees a figure standing nearby. It's Then. A tear runs down her face, and she says, I thought I'd never see you again. Devin, would you want to tell us what Then says?
3: We would always see each other again. It was only a matter of time. Come. We have
0: much to discuss. She runs and embraces her brother. Um, for the first time... In almost ten years, she feels safe and happy. Unseen and unheard by Kara, Cloud tugs on Then's pant leg. He looks down over his sister's shoulder at the halfling that only he could see. Cloud says, She's not going to be able to stay. The look in Then's eye says that he knows this too. Shouldn't, shouldn't we tell her? Then says, Later. Kara pulls back slightly to take a better look at him and, Later, what? Later for everything. Then says and pulls her close again. For now, just, just this. The King of Cups and On your way back to Hadria, you stop one night in an inn. Winter is starting to make itself known, and tonight is especially cold. Um, it's a couple days after you left the shadow. The common room at the inn where you'll stay, it's a middling-sized room. Though it's slightly on the full size, the crowd is not rowdy, and the conversations in the room are dull rumble rather than a, a roar or like the raucous laughter uh, of some common rooms. A bowl of hot stew is warming your insides, and a tankard of ale is almost empty beside you. You take a moment to to think back to what well, was just a couple days for you when you left the rest of the group. Did either of you have any parting words?
5: I wouldn't think I do, just because Hans is really the only one that I know well
2: enough. I don't believe he really says anything to Calico, because she's definitely did some bad stuff to him. Um, I think before, like, we set off, like, I went over to Quinn or or during, even when Quinn was talking to us about the bullet thing, I kind of, like, took the bullet from Quinn's hand and said, I'll definitely keep this, and I hope you know that I'm a person that you can trust. If you need anything, you'll know where to find me. I think I kind of leave it at, at that.
0: So after a little while, you know, your meal is kind of settling, you're getting close to the bottom of that tankard. A voice comes from just over your shoulder. Uh, beg your pardon, my lord, but if I'm not mistaken, you're Hans Gregor. I've heard much about you. You turn to see Aliardo Carsaro standing near the table, uh, and he gives you a slight bow and says, Good to see you, Hans. Uh, May I sit?
2: Uh, absolutely. I, I'd like to imagine bef- before I turned around, I said, like, uh, most people have before I realized who it was, and then I saw him.
0: <laughs> I <Him laughs> was kind of happy, but um, I, I invite him to sit. He takes a seat, and he says, uh, where, uh, where are the two of you headed? Honestly,
2: I thought I would come back from this adventure that that we just had quite quickly, and that didn't happen, and I thought it would lead to many more adventures, but I think for now, while I, I wait my new weapon to be forged, we're gonna keep a low profile. But I don't think I don't think the my adventuring days are behind
0: me. That is good. That is good. But tell me, I expected you to go to the Dragonstrife Coast. That is where your blood hails from, is it not? Of
2: of course. Um. Uh. I'm very well. Listen. Uh. <laughs> I um. I've never even been to the coast. I was just trying to make a name for myself. I didn't want to get killed and, and be stuck and, and you know. I was doing anything I could to to get people on my side and I'm glad you were one of the folks that were on my side.
0: I, I see. Well then, know that I am still at your side, but I, I must apologize. There's There's somebody who wants to meet you. Okay. Eliardo kind of looks back over his shoulder and nods to somebody at a nearby table. A s- older man, maybe like into his 60s, tall, muscular, um, skin looks like toughened by the sun. He's got wavy red hair cropped tight to his head. He's got a very edgy but bland face. Uh, he comes over to the table, introduces himself as Garrett Oswin, and standing above the table, like looking down at you guys, he says, this is the one who's claiming he's a Gregor.
2: I look, I, I'm, I'm not just claiming I'm a Gregor. I am a Gregor. A Gregor.
0: For 13 generations, my family served the house of Gregor. When Baronoth Gregor was killed, it appeared that the line had ended. The Gregor lands were taken by greedy neighbors, and my great-great-grandfather fled east. But even now, I serve the memory and the bloodline of the King of Cups. If you cannot prove your place in that line, I have to ask you to leave the name Gregor here.
2: If I have like a um, like a long sleeve on or something, I'll pull it back and, and say, is this what you're looking for?
0: You roll up your sleeve, and there on your forearm is the brand that you received in the Hell House. It is the mark of the King of Cups. When he sees the brand, his eyes go wide. He drops immediately to one knee and puts a fist to his forehead. My lord, for, forgive me for doubting you. With his head still bowed, he draws his sword and then holds it to you, parallel to the floor. My sword is yours to command, if you'll have me.
2: I kind of look over at Elyf and I say, and, and look back at him, and I said, "We won't turn down a, a good swordsman, especially a loyal one." And
0: uh, Aliardo eyes you across the table, and then still kind of, you know, still sitting, like leaning back a little in his chair draws his sword and puts it on the table. My sword is yours as well. Uh, Do you need me to kneel, or...?
2: (laughs) You're fine. You're fine where you are. (laughs) And then I say, you learn something new every day, huh?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Garrett then gets back to his feet and pulls out a chair and stands on it and shouts to the rest of the room that the King of Cups has returned to the Hinterlands garrett had clearly brought some friends um as six more men come to you and kneel, pledging their loyalty
2: i feel like i stand up and i'm like finally enjoying this moment of glory that i've kind of wanted and fame it's kind of like my dream coming true so that's very exciting to like i feel like i was kind of down and now i am
0: not down anymore (laughs) uh aliardo says to you like what I suppose it means Hadria is out of the question. Uh, I have always wanted to see the ocean of the Dragon Strife.
2: <laughs> we'll go someday.
0: So then, over the the course of a couple of months, like a like a short little montage, we see Hans riding first from that in the next day. Aliardo and Iliaf and seven sworn swords are in tow and this group then rides into another town and we see them then riding out now a dozen trailing behind them and they go into another town and out again with more people following Um, after about the fourth time a banner appears with the group someone has very hastily sewn the the sigil of the the cup onto a small squarish banner um, that they're now carrying with this this growing group of swordsmen and, and women About a month and a half after leaving the shadow, Hans crests a rise astride a horse with Aliardo and Elieff and Garrett riding up just behind him. Uh, A couple hundred armed men and bannermen and women form up behind them. Uh, Everyone is looking down the bluff onto a beach and the ocean. The waves are gently rolling into a natural bay a mid-sized fishing village rings the bay there's a couple hundred small buildings by looks of it mostly residential um lots of docks and they all thrum with an activity in the center of the bay sits an island and atop the island is a castle and garrett takes a couple more steps forward and says my liege, welcome home the magician In a small room overlooking Arthamore's Mariford Market, Aurelius sits studying a scroll by a small fire. Um, A sparrow flies in through the open window and then grows and transforms into a large, bald man. He looks not unlike Mr. Clean, except he looks like he's never smiled in his life. Uh, He's wearing a sleeveless leather vest that, that shows off tattoos of trees that almost completely cover his arm. Aurelius looks up briefly as the man transforms, uh, and he says, Chiron, acknowledging him, Chiron stepping into the room farther, he says, The last shipment comes through the aqueduct tonight. We should be ready to start work right away. Good, good. But you did not come here to tell me such things. Chiron says, no. It came to because one of our agents on the, the Dragon Strife coast reports that one of the lost Crucius has emerged. The Nitala Fola, the Gauntlets of the Dying Star. Aurelius leans back in his chair. You do not say? Well, that uh, that changes things. We'll have to leave in advance of our timetable. Send for Lilwyn. Uh, she will take my place here. I must go to Malmayor. You will need to come with me. Aurelius gets up and begins to gathering papers on the table where he was reading. Chiron, watching him, says, suppose I should start calling you Raphael. Aurelius says, Yes, that would be good. Chiron says, "Uh, Should I send any special instructions back to Dragonstrife? Aurelius says, Only to watch. Uh, We know where it is, and we know who has it. We have time. Chiron looks inquisitively at Aurelius, not quite getting it. And Aurelius stops packing as this think about it. The gauntlets would only call to one of rarefied blood. Chiron is not getting it. The legendary champion Krieger Mandarb returned to the dragon strife after the war. Still nothing. Chiron's still lost. His son founded the dynasty. Gregor Mandarb. The house of Gregor. The king of cups. We apparently know his heir, Hans. The Devil Thief. Calico, your trip back to Arthamore took a slight detour. Rackham led you back to Barathus to gather a few uh, remaining members of the clasp that were there. Most of them wounded in the attack that killed the council, or too old to come fight the the silence. Um, You also gather a few you know, goods and some supplies that you can carry. You're then able to use one of the clasps. Teleportation circles to get back to Arthamore months ahead of any of your companions uh, got where they were going. The first thing uh, I want to find out is uh, what are your plans for the clasp? Do you want to rebuild it as it was or make it into something else?
1: I would think that because the silence is gone and we've got the clasp, we would try to like merge with the gardeners and like create one like core thieves guild in Arthamore.
0: Okay, interesting. So the second is that with your numbers reduced, you can probably only hold one of the clasps' uh, former fronts in Arthamore, at least to start off with.
1: We would probably do some sort of, like, potions kind of business, because I'm good with poison. I don't
0: know what to call it. How about the Crafty Pony Trading Company? Sure. Okay. So one day, like about two weeks after that, your final fight with the master is. You're you're in the clandestine part of the Crafty Pony. You're reminded of when you left the rest of the companions that that you traveled with. Uh, did you have any parting words for them?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I am just gonna leave. Let them leave.
0: Okay. So you want to join forces with the gardeners so how would you like to go about that
1: um i would just set up a meeting with their leadership or whatever and be like look here's the situation we're in i took care of the silence obviously we're probably facing some sort of major event coming soon and it'd be best if we all joined together hopefully Um, they don't kill me
0: as you're kind of coming out of your reverie of remembering Not saying anything um, to to your companions (laughs) as you laughed. Bertram, one of your people, peeks uh, into the room. Uh, I beg your pardon, ma'am. There's someone here to see you.
1: Okay. Who is it?
0: He said his name is Raphael, but uh, he looks a lot like that Aurelius guy from the Gardeners.
1: Uh, Send him in.
0: (laughs) Aurelius Raphael walks into the room. He's wearing a, a gray poncho over dark green leather armor. His curly brown hair is much shorter than the last time you saw him. And he says, uh, Hello, my friend. First, I am uh, I'm glad to hear that you were interested in talking. I also hope to clear the air. I hold no ill will for what you did. I wish you hadn't. Then oh, yes. was a good thief. I would have liked to make more use of him but I understand why you felt you had to. This is water under the bridge. Uh, besides, I heard you also killed the so-called Master of the Silence, no? Yes. Very good. Uh, we are all thankful to you for that. I understand you have a proposal.
1: Oh, um...
0: You, I mean, you already told me what it is. me. Yeah. You know. so I will go
1: over that again.
0: Uh, this is, uh, this is very fortunate. I actually was hoping to make an arrangement with you for you to take my men. And do what? That is a fair question. Uh, I'm asking you to trust me, so I suppose I should just tell you. Um, the gardeners were never meant to be a power. They were never meant to be known. When we took the aqueduct to complete a job, we, we, be- we got too much attention. I wish to fade into the background again to become unknown. You need people. You need knives and hands to guide them. If it looks like you took over the gardeners, the gardeners disappear. I can disappear, and you get what you need. What's the catch? N- not a catch. Uh, just a favor. Uh, I would ask okay. that... Uh, Should a a time ever come that I am returned to Arthamore and I should be in need of help, uh, that you would let my men serve me one more time. Call it an insurance policy, should I ever return.
1: Sounds fair enough.
0: Very good, my friend. Then I leave my people and Arthamore in your capable hands. The Rising Sun. A series of stone coffins run in rows down the center of a room. Uh, each one is open and filled with a teal liquid. A figure bursts forth from beneath the surface of one of these coffins. It's a humanoid. They are covered in goo, this this, this teal, um, almost like yogurt consistency. They are gasping and coughing and choking on this, this fluid. The figure leans over the edge and coughs and then vomits. They finally wipe their face clear, and Leandros looks around the room confused. He remembers the room, though the last time he saw it, gnolls were leaping across coffins to attack him. And something else happened to him here, but he can't remember what. Good. You are awake. Zebulon steps into the room. He sets a small armful of items, mostly books, down on a table and moves towards Leandros. Zebulon's hands begin to glow as he raises them and kind of moves them up and down over the stunned elf. Uh, it looks like the incorporation is taken nicely. You will have some memory loss, but that's okay. You won't need those. Zebulon moves to the vat next to Leandros, um, his hands still glowing now hovering over the liquid uh, over his shoulder he says this one is close uh, they will be ready soon if i may say this may be my best work yet the adjustments you asked for are they are a thing of beauty Leandros looks around a little bit more confused he sees an otherwise empty room and looks back to zebulon and the the adjustments i asked for he says Zabulon turns and looks disapprovingly at him. Don't be foolish. I wasn't talking to you. Landers looks around the room one more time, still seeing no one. Uh, His eyes stop for just a moment on a sword that sits atop the books that Zebulon brought in. Landers doesn't really care much for martial weapons and his gaze passes quickly on. So he never sees the glint that slides down the edge of the demon blade, almost like a tongue of some eldritch beast licking its lips. Zebulon, still leaning over the second vat, reaches in to caress the face that is slowly emerging from the goo. Yes, you will be my masterpiece. His fingers leave numerous trails in the goo, slowly revealing the face of Kara Nilo and her new body. And so ends the Shadows campaign.